I am part of a ministry called Winning at Home. I've been working with my dad at that ministry for about the past four years. And before that, I was working over at a church near Detroit. I was working with a homeless shelter that was right downtown, and then also working with some guys. They would come and stay with me who were coming out of like a prison background or substance abuse addiction background. And one of the things that I really loved about being over by Detroit, in addition to getting to do this ministry that I very much felt called to be a part of, I was also finally living in an NBA city. I love professional basketball, so I was so excited. Uh, and it, it worked out perfectly because the Pistons, while I was there four or five years ago, they were terrible. So I could buy season tickets for really, really cheap. But I also love that they were terrible because growing up around here in West Michigan, all my friends rooted for the Pistons, and I like to be kind of difficult and obstinate, so I always cheered against the Pistons. So I got to go to every game for a whole season and cheer against the Pistons, and the people in my section hated me. They always knew I was going to be there, and uh, the one time when LeBron came to town, I cheered for the Pistons, boo for LeBron, and uh, so, you know, I enjoyed that, but... One of the games when I was there, during one of the timeouts, dead ball situations, if you've been to a live sporting event, you know they have kind of an MC that's hosting the night that comes out whenever there's these dead moments and tries to keep the crowd into the game. So the MC came out and he said, tonight we've got a game that's a combination of a trivia game and a basketball game. So he said, I've got this random fan and he brought this guy out. He said, I'm gonna ask him three questions and based on whether he can get these trivia questions about the Pistons right, he's going to get to take a prize-winning shot at the basketball hoop. He said, I'm going to start him out at half court, and for each question he gets right, he gets to move a little bit closer to the basket. And if he makes this shot, then he's going to walk away with this little prize pack. We have a Piston memorabilia. We've got some jerseys. We've got some gift certificates to places around the arena, restaurants, and those kind of things. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the first question. He asked this guy the first question, and it was so easy. It was like, if you knew what day it was, you knew the answer to this question. So the guy gets it right. So he moves. Now he's taking this potentially prize-winning shot. Instead of from half court, he moves up to the three-point line. There the MC asks him the next question, and it's a little bit harder, but not really. Like, if you know anything about the Pistons, it was easy. So the guy gets it right. So he moves from the three-point line up to the free-throw line. And at this point, there's kind of the host is trying to build some tension. He's like, all right, last question. It's kind of hard. And he asked this random fan this question. And the guy, I'm not sure if he knew it. It was one of those things where the crowd kind of shouted out and helped the guy. So he got it right, technically. Um, and so he gets to take the shot. Instead of from the free-throw line, he moves to the right block. And if you know how a basketball court is set up, you know that he was standing about this far away from the basket. So the host is getting all excited. He's like, hey, I want to remind everybody he's shooting this little layup. He's getting a chance to win this prize pack. And he goes down the whole list of everything that's in it. The guy that's running the camera is getting excited. So he zooms in tight on the, the fan who's getting to take this shot so that we can all see the reaction up on the jumbotron of this guy winning. And so what happens is the host runs down his whole thing, reminds him, hey, all you got to do is make a layup. He hands this guy the ball. And this guy in front of 13, 14,000 people that are in the arena at the time, 
he banks his layup off the backboard, it hits the front of the rim, and it bounces out. And this guy, yeah, the air in the room just went out like that. Everybody's, ah. Oh. And this guy immediately, his head goes into his hands and he's trying to stay out of the view of everyone that's looking directly at him, out of the view of the camera. And the MC was trying to like save this moment. So he's trying not to laugh. And he's like, hey, let's give a round of applause to our fan. And this guy, head in his hands, is, is scurrying off the court to get out of everybody's view. And while he's doing that, instead of giving him a hand, the crowd starts to boo. This guy just was humiliated, just couldn't believe what he did in front of all these people, and everybody's booing him. I booed him a little. I mean, it's a layup, right? You got you to make a layup. So, uh, but as I'm watching him walk off the court, head in his hands, I'm thinking to myself, that guy would do anything for a second chance right now. And I realized that this feeling right here, every one of us knows what that feels like. We've all lived that moment, and likely more than one time, where we would give anything to go back and have a second chance. But the problem is that that's not the way that life works. Right? This guy missed his shot and he went off the court in shame, getting booed. Uh, when we miss our chance, we very, very rarely have the opportunity to try again. And the fact that that's what we experience in our day-to-day -day life, it makes it really difficult for us to understand the way that God does things. Because God doesn't offer one shot Pass, fail. God is continually waiting to help us succeed. And so I want to read uh, tonight a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you want to turn there, we're going to start reading in verse 9. But before we do that, I want to set it up and let you know what's going on in this passage. Because Paul's writing this uh, particular chapter to the Corinthians to address a specific problem that they have. There are two parties that are a part of this church in Corinth, and they went into business together. We don't know a lot about their whole deal, but we do know that this business relationship went bad. They invested money and they didn't make any money back on it or lost their money. They went into some kind of venture and maybe one of the partners was feeling like they were kind of getting ripped off. We don't know, but we know human nature, so we understand how these dynamics happen. And so Paul is writing to this church about this specific issue, and he says, it's gotten to a point where these guys aren't just arguing back and forth with each other. They've actually gone to a lawsuit level with this thing. And Paul says, don't you understand the fact that there are lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. He said, isn't there anyone in the church that can make decisions and decide what the right thing to do is? Because what Paul knows is that when the outside world hears us as Christians saying our lives are governed by Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all these things, all these fruits of the Spirit. And then that's how our lives are governed when things are going good. 
but as soon as things get a little bit tough, we're going to handle things the exact same way the world handles them. Paul was writing because he understood what these people in the church were telling the world around them was that my faith matters and it works in the good times. And as soon as things get tough, I'm going to bail because I don't really know what to do anymore. And so Paul's writing to address this specific issue and he starts saying to them, wouldn't it be better to just let yourself get cheated, but instead you guys are trying to cheat each other and take advantage of each other? And so he says this in verse 9. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, or drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now you hear that list and you, you start to think that Paul's going on a really negative approach to describing what's going on here. But then in the next verse he takes, and I want you to hear what he says here because this is my favorite passage of scripture. Because Paul really figures out a way to give the gospel in just a few verses. He's just finished talking about these things that we can do to separate us from God's kingdom. And then he says this. He says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's so powerful. Because Paul, he knows he's writing to a world of people who are used to not getting second chances who are used to understanding the way that the world works. And if we mess up, we missed our shot. And Paul's writing to remind us that our God is a God of second chances. And I love this passage because I think that Paul wrote it in a way so that people that are in two different groups, two different areas of things that we struggle with, that this passage really hits us. And the first is people who have a hard time believing that God's grace really can be free. That God's grace really doesn't define us by our past anymore. And I think those people read this passage and there's this full list of all these things that we can do that alienate us from God. And then we read it like this. And that is what some of you were, but... You were washed and sanctified and justified and you're not who you were before. But the problem with that is it's so hard for us to believe because we're used to living in a world where we always have to be on the lookout for someone offering us something that seems too good to be true. I have just been hearing in the last couple weeks about people that are calling uh, people on the phone and claiming to be IRS agents, taking advantage of tax season and claiming people owe all this money and trying to rip them off. But it's not just that. It's, um, I actually, I had a friend who told me this story and gave me permission to share it, which is going to be shocking when I tell you the whole story. Uh, but a buddy of mine that I went to high school with, his name was Dan. And Dan 
uh, he always kind of floundered around, didn't really know exactly what he was going to do with his life. So he, um, he met this girl online. This was shortly after we were out of high school. He should have known better than to do what he did, but he met this girl that lived down in Miami. And they had been talking online for about three weeks when Dan decided he wanted to move down to Miami to be with this girl. So it gives you an idea of kind of what type of planner he is, right? Not a planner. And uh, so he moves down there. Has no job. Didn't think that through. He just, oh, there's a girl. I got to move. So he gets down there and um, he comes up with the only job he can find is a sales job working for a company that you, you won't know the name of, but you'll have heard of this type of thing. His company sent out letters to people all across the country and they offered, if you're willing to come down to Miami to listen to our sales pitch, we will fly you down for free. We will put you up in hotels for four nights for free. We'll get you into Disney World for three days for free. You don't have to pay for anything. All you have to do is listen to our little sales pitch. It's a win-win for you because you could just say no and everything's free. So my buddy Dan, who was a really slick-talking salesman kind of guy, gets hooked up with working with this company. And so he told me how it would go is there would normally be a meeting like this where everyone who got suckered into this little scam would come and hear one person talk about how great the timeshare or the condo or whatever it is that I'm trying to sell you is, which obviously you've got to be overpaying because they just paid for this many people to go to Disney World for a week, right? They're making money. So after that, everybody has to go uh, either by themselves or with their spouse or family, whoever they came on this trip with. They have to go and meet one-on-one -on -one with somebody like my buddy Dan. And what he would do is he would try all these different tactics to basically convince people to pay too much for something that they didn't want. And so what he would do is he would let them talk and they would say, well, you know, it seems like you're kind of ripping us off. This is a little bit overpriced. And he would say, you know, that's a good point. Give me a minute. Let me go talk to my manager and I'll come back and see if we can do a little better for you. And so Dan would leave and right before he would leave, he would say, hey, just, I just don't want you to forget. Um, if you leave this room, before I say we're done, my sales pitch is over, then you're on the hook for your flight down here. You're on the hook for um, the hotel that we put you up in and for those tickets to Disney World and all the taxes on everything and a couple other fees. Anyway, see you in a minute. And he would leave. And he told me instead of going and talking to his manager, he would go and watch a movie, a whole movie and come back to see these people that have been trapped in this little room, hoping that he kind of wore them down in the two hours that he was gone. And eventually, this kind of torment of these poor people would just go on and on and on. And I stopped him and I said, Dan, that can't be legal. What you're telling me, it cannot be legal. And he said, oh, it is. He said in the fine print, they agreed that they would listen to a sales pitch that would be up to six hours in exchange for all the stuff that they got for free. And I'm like, Dan, I don't know how you did that and slept that night. You know, that is a terrible thing that you did. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I got out of it after a little bit. But we're used to hearing about that kind of stuff. 
when we hear about something being free, that's where our mind goes. We've heard stories of people being taken advantage of. Maybe we've been taken advantage of. And so when we hear this idea that God's grace is free and that because of what Christ did, God doesn't define us by who we were anymore, it can be hard to believe. Now I want to specifically say if there's someone here in this room tonight who you think, yeah, that's great, that sounds good, I'm glad that this is in the Bible, it sounds like God's really generous, but if you knew the stuff that I have done, you would know that God couldn't forgive me. I want to remind you um, just a little bit about this guy, Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians. He was a very, very devout Jew. And he believed that Jesus coming and claiming to be the Messiah uh, was actually blasphemy against God. And so he thought that it was his job to try to stamp any memory of Jesus out for the entire history of the world. So Paul, who at the time was named Saul, he went around arresting, harassing, physically hurting, and even killing Christians. If you don't think that guy understood the fullness of grace, and when he writes about this, he's writing firsthand experience, saying, God does not define me by what I was, because God, he sanctified me, he purified me, he cleansed me, and he changed me. So maybe you're here tonight, and you read this passage that first way. You read this whole list of things that you're like, yep, I did that, I'm disqualified from God's king. Oh, that one too. That's what you were. There's a second way, I think, that Paul wrote this passage in order uh, for us to interpret and to read it. And I think that second way is for people who struggle to offer the grace that we got so freely to other people, specifically to people who have hurt us. Because when we go through pain, our immediate reaction is to hold on to bitterness and to feel completely justified in doing that. And for people like that, who I find myself in that camp sometimes, I think we read the passage and we hear it this way. Paul says, that is what some of you were. A little reminder that the grace that God offered so freely to us, he also wants to offer so freely anyone else who comes to him for it. And I think one of the best examples of, of seeing what this looks like in reality is the story of Jonah from the Old Testament. You know the general story of Jonah. God called him to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, which was Israel's main enemy at the time that Jonah lived. In fact, if you read through, you'll find in the book of Nahum, incredibly terrible things written about the nation of Assyria because they were brutal, brutal people. 
Their goal wasn't to just control as much territory as they could. Their goal was to attack and totally destroy other nations that were around them as they enlarged their territory. And so Jonah had seen firsthand how terrible these people were, how much pain they had caused to his nation and the other nations around them. And God says, I want you to go there and I want you to tell Nineveh that unless they repent, I'm going to judge them. And this is the part of the story that we know. Jonah took off the the opposite direction. He was headed for what he thought, Tarshish, was the end of the world. He was trying to get as far away from Nineveh as he could. And through this huge storm, he eventually gets thrown overboard when the sailors discover he's the cause of it. And he's miraculously swallowed by this huge fish, spit up on land after three days inside of this fish. And he finally says, okay, I hate the idea of going to Nineveh, but I guess it's better than looking over my shoulder every day, everywhere I go for the rest of my life, living in disobedience. So Jonah goes, but I want you to hear uh, what he said, his message that God asked him to preach that the Assyrians needed to repent. Instead of doing that, Jonah said, this is the only text that is in the book of Jonah about his message that he preached. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Done. Pretty easy sermon. Actually, in Hebrew, what this was written in, that's five words. Jonah technically went and he technically preached and he technically did what he was supposed to do, but he didn't. It's obvious his heart wasn't in this thing. And what happened was the king in Nineveh heard about this and said, you know what? This guy's right. I don't know if it's going to make any difference, but we need to repent. We need to mourn and we need to fast and we need to cry out to this God because who knows, he may relent and not totally destroy our city. And that's exactly what happens. God has mercy his free grace and second chance that he offers to all of us and we're thrilled about. And to Jonah, three days, you know, after he's in the the belly of this fish that Jonah was thrilled about, God offers this grace to this huge city and nation. And Jonah's mad. In fact, you'd think that the book of Jonah would end on a positive note, but some of the last words that Jonah says In Jonah chapter 4, he's speaking to God and he says, talking about why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, he said, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And you can almost hear him add at the end, and I'm ticked off about it. Because this was a guy who believed that he was justified in thinking, I deserve God's grace, and all these other people who have hurt me, they don't. And what the book of Jonah reminds us, and what this passage in 1 Corinthians reminds us, is that's what some of us were. So tonight, um, I don't know if you're in the first camp 
or the second. If when you read this passage in 1 Corinthians, you think, well, God could not forgive me. I've heard too many things that are too good to be true. God's waiting. God's ready. Tonight might be the first time that you've had an opportunity to hear about this free grace. And if that's true, in a moment, we're going to spend some time praying. And I want you to be thinking about what it means to say yes to God. Because you don't have to be defined by who you were anymore. That's not how things work in God's world. And maybe you're in that second camp. Maybe um, like Jonah and sometimes like me. Maybe if the book of Jonah was written about you uh, or about me, sometimes the story would be pretty similar. The reminder for us tonight from scripture is that God is ready and willing and he wants to offer the grace he gave us. He wants to offer it to whoever wants to come to him and repent. Just like the passage that Pastor Joshua read earlier and and talked about this wicked servant who had been forgiven so much and yet couldn't turn and offer that same forgiveness. God is calling us to that, to forgive, to be gracious just like he's been gracious to us. So we're gonna take some time now and I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And whatever God's working on your heart about right now, I wanna encourage you, spend some time with him. Pray for, for his strength, for his grace to invade your life and to make you more gracious or to help you open your heart to his grace. And if you're here tonight, and uh, you don't fit into either of those two categories because you hear this list of things that can disqualify you from inheriting the kingdom of God and you think, that's where I still am. I've never made the decision to follow Jesus. I've never surrendered my life to him. I've never been washed and cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus. You have the opportunity to do that right here, right now, tonight. Uh, If you're in that spot and this free grace that God wants to offer is something that you need tonight, I wanna lead you through a prayer of admitting to God where you're at and asking him to change you. If that's you tonight, I wanna ask you to just repeat quietly in your head uh, after me this prayer of God tonight I acknowledge that I've done things to separate myself from you I've lived in sin I've done what felt like it was going to be fun and exciting and freeing in the moment and I found that it left me in bondage and God tonight I need this free grace that you offer. Tonight, I commit to you to turn from the way that I've been living 
and instead live my life for you. God, this is possible because of Jesus' blood. And I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life today. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you afterwards uh, to come up and to talk to one of the leaders here at Res. We'll have some people here in front of the stage. Uh, If you made the decision to follow Jesus, we would love to talk with you about what that means moving forward. And I want to just close us out in prayer now. God, we thank you so much for what you are doing in our lives, what you want to do, and what you will continue to do in the future. God, we ask that as we leave this place, you will help us to be full of your grace, to live lives that are no longer marked by who we were, but live in this freedom of who we are in you. God, we thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.